0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Q&A for Surveillance Report 142. If you're looking for the actual Surveillance Report, be sure to go and check that out. But this is our Q&A, where our patrons can ask us questions, and you can too, if you want to join Patreon at $5 a month or more. Um, Obviously, totally optional, but it's a good chance to ask questions, and maybe one of yours will appear in a video like this. So with that, we'll jump right in. Our first question comes from Mr. Camel, who says, What are y'all's Linux distros of choice for your own use? Um, i use cubes uh, i don't necessarily recommend that for everyone it has a uh, it it's not as hard as everyone makes it out to be but you do have to be at least familiar with linux so i would start on like an easier distro first like ubuntu or mint start there learn the basics um, and it does also require some fairly intense hardware like you need a solid state you need at least 16 gigs of ram or it's just painfully unusably slow but I mean if you have good enough hardware for it it's also just real finicky on what hardware it will install on but if you have the hardware for it and you're familiar with linux and you're okay with kind of an ugly ui I like it a lot cubes is in the linux distro though uh you know you know okay so you know what's funny is I actually used to fight people on that one because I was like because I I searched it one time I'm not gonna say Googled because I didn't use google but I, I web searched it one time and And I could not find a single source to back that up. And so I came to the conclusion like, oh, it's just something that elite. It's some technicality that elitists say to feel cool and special because they're not using Linux. And then someone pointed out it actually is right there on their website in the FAQ. It's like you can think of it as a Linux distro if that makes it easier, but technically it's not. And I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm the (laughs) asshole here. Um, So, yeah, technically it's not a Linux distro. I guess in that case, uh, I'm a big fan of Silverblue. Um, I'm planning a video about that sometime here soon as well, but yeah, I, I, for me, for where I use, I use cubes. Although technically I guess I still use Fedora because I I use the Fedora
1: template for everything. So yeah, I'm consistent at least. Right. Um, I just have a few Linux VMs that I boot up sometimes and it's just Fedora for the most part. All right. Next question is from L and it's saying, uh, just want to say recent member and keep up the good work. And that's the question. No, pretty much the question is, um, how do you install a custom ROM on an Android device safely? And so you don't mess it up or do anything silly. Um, very straightforward answer on my end, uh, follow the official installation instructions for whichever operating system you're trying to install. That's, that's all I have to say there. If you want the most trusted solution and the less silly thing to do and the, least likelihood that you're going to screw something up just follow the official instructions for whatever ROM you're trying to install. That's it. I don't know if there's anything you have to add there. Yeah, like I agree cuz even even the best tutorial
0: on a long enough timeline will probably be wrong. Like even if somebody were to put out a tutorial today and it's totally up to date, it's perfect, it's step by step, in a year, you know, something will have changed, some library will be deprecated, they'll use a different one, some installation method will change or even like with lineage for example, there's like 10 different ways of doing it that varies based on which phone you're installing it on. I think tutorials can be good for kind of visualizing it or getting like a general idea of how it works. Like if you read the instructions and you're like, I don't really understand this step. I think a tutorial can kind of help get you and give you an idea of how to do it. But yeah, the official documentation is always the best method, regardless of what, what OS it is.
1: And that's happened on our ends. Like I've made some installations in the past. And then like two months later, you know, something comes up and that whole installation guide becomes outdated. If you do look at tutorials, just make sure to cross-reference the tutorial with the documentation if you go along.
0: Keeping with the topic of phones, Riddick said, when using a modern Samsung phone, I think you can install certain custom ROMs but not lock the bootloader. What is your guys' view on the trade-off between having, for example, Lineage with an unlocked bootloader versus Samsung with a locked bootloader? How likely is it your phone will be impact? Thank you. Uh, Impacted. Thank you. Yeah, so from a security perspective, I think... Um, the stock OS will probably have a slight advantage just because it's got the locked bootloader thing going on. The only time I would recommend installing something like Lineage is if you're no longer receiving security updates on that OS, on the stock OS. Like, again, my Lineage phone, the stock OS it came with stopped updating on like Android 9 or something like that, but it's currently running Android 13 thanks to Lineage. One thing worth noting on that note or on that thought is... Android phones have two firmwares, uh, there's like, or two, two updates. There's like the firmware of the phone and the OS of the phone. So switching to Lineage will extend the OS upgrades, but the firmware won't continue getting upgrades. So if you have a really high threat model, that's something to keep in mind. And on the topic of threat model, I was just going to say I, I personally am not certain how much the bootloader actually matters. Like, it's definitely a security feature. I think you should enable it if you can. But if you're not being targeted and you're, like, careful about where you download apps and install them and stuff like that, I, I'm I'm genuinely unsure. I'm not trying to downplay it. I don't know if that's really a big threat that, like, no, you should never unlock the bootloader. Or is it kind of like, you know, as long as you use some common sense and keep things updated, you should be fine. I don't know. That's, that's my two cents.
1: Yeah, on my end, uh, my understanding and the way I approach this is it's pretty – it's going to depend on a lot of factors and who you are, for sure. Um, verified boot is probably the main thing I'd be looking at regarding a locked bootloader. And what this does is essentially, if you install malware on your device, and we've already seen this with even some of the very sophisticated malware that's hitting iPhones, um, a reboot takes care of it. And that's essentially what Verified boot on an Android device with a locked bootloader can accomplish. So it's going to prevent a uh, persistent malware on your device from staying installed on your device. So if you think that you're at risk of getting malware on your device, then it might be helpful to utilize Verified Boot. But um, on the other hand, uh, sacrificing Verified Boot and having an unlocked bootloader and having an open source ROM gives you a lot of privacy that a stock ROM might not be able to deliver. And in addition to that, um, like Nate said, you can extend security updates on at least the operating system side of things as well which is another possible security perk. So it really just depends on a lot of factors. Um, My hot take is uh, unless you have a very high security threat model, it's probably worth it to go with a custom ROM route because then you're still going to get security updates, which I think is a much more realistic and um, applicable issue for most people. I think most people should still be concerned about their browser and their operating system becoming out of date rather than having malware installed and being persistent on their device. Um, so I personally would lean most people if they're on the fence, probably towards the custom ROM route if they're able, but just know there are perks to keeping that locked bootloader. But ideally you're just on a Pixel and you get the best of both worlds or a Fairphone 4. Okay. Well, the the next one, I don't have much to say, but I'll, I'll introduce it. So the opinion... Of uh, the desktop client for Proton Drive, which is only available for Windows, and it just came out this last week. That was the highlight story of the previous surveillance report. Um, I don't have much to say because I can only test things on ARM 64 devices. And guess what? Proton didn't release ARM 64 support with their Proton Cl- Drive client, so I haven't been able to test it out. So that's all. those are my thoughts on it. Because you know these these co- these questions are left prior to us
0: recording. Hopefully, that video uh, kind of gave you some answers. And I did film, I promised I was going to make a video about Proton Drive. I did film it last night, so I just need to edit. Hopefully I'll have it out sometime this weekend at the latest. The TLDR is, I do like it. Uh, I think there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. But overall, I'm a huge fan. You know, it makes makes Windows suck just a little bit less for Windows users. Um, It's very user-friendly and... If you're like me, you have half a terabyte or more of Proton storage just sitting around doing nothing because you never use Drive because you're not going to upload everything in the browser all the time. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I like it. Um, Still has some room to grow, but I think this is a a huge step forward, especially for the more mainstream crowd, which is – who Proton is obviously targeting. Uh, So our next question comes from Clem, and kind of like how Henry didn't have any answers to this one, I don't, because this one's specifically aimed at him. Henry, do you know when privacy virtual cards are coming to Apple Pay? I found the blog post about the virtual cards coming to digital wallets. It was in October 2022. So Henry, do you know anything we don't?
1: No, I I didn't get any special access or, like... Uh, special treatment from Privacy.com and regarding the beta cards. So for those who don't know, Privacy.com is an aliasing debit card service where you can just generate disposable cards, and it's linked to your bank account, so you can pretty much alias all of your card numbers on several websites. And the, normally this is just digital. You just generate them for websites or apps and things online. But they added uh, the ability to add virtual cards to Apple Pay and Google Pay, whatever it's called on Android. It's, I think of- it's Google Pay. Right. Mine's Um, disabled, so I don't know. (laughs) Right. I don't know either. So you can add them there. So theoretically, you can now use these aliasing cards in person. Um, And I just got private early beta access because you could have applied. Anyone could have applied if they were a privacy.com member. I somehow got in, and I've been using it. And it's been pretty nice. I will say it's kind of frustrating because the pin situation like uh, you have to s- sometimes at certain readers when you use the card via Apple Pay in person it'll ask for a pin but there is no pin and they say just click the x when it does that but that doesn't always work so sometimes you just can't really use the card in person but either way it's not a huge deal because um, when you use Apple Pay and I think Google Pay as of Android 13 don't quote me on that but they're actually giving merchants different card numbers already So they're not getting your real card information if you're using Apple Pay. Um, So I guess it's kind of questionable what Privacy.com is bringing to the table in that regard. But what's really cool is you can now on your phone conveniently just use Apple Pay with a Privacy.com card online. So if you're checking out on a website and it supports Apple Pay, you just check out with Apple Pay and use the Privacy.com card. And that's much quicker than having to go in and out of the Privacy.com app. Just something to throw out there. But no, I don't have any information. That's the long story short. Um, I've been using it, but I haven't seen any information that speaks to when it's going to be public. Uh, Next question is from Player01Ready, and it's pretty much saying, a privacy-conscious filmmaker, and they have internal conflicts between promoting privacy for themselves and others and using privacy-invasive platforms. Um, They made their own Peertube instance earlier this year, but they took it down at the moment due to some SSL problems. They feel attached to YouTube for both consuming content and publishing content. They have a PixelFed account, and they like it, but Peertube never feels great to actually use. They also feel pressure to join TikTok to post content there, and the question is, how do you feel about Peertube as, a, as an alternative to YouTube? Because I really think it's more like Vimeo. I feel like to find an audience, you have to use YouTube and maybe even TikTok now. Yeah, I think we're both going to have a lot to add here. Um, on, on my end, you know, there's, there's Tech Lord, there's the business, which is all about reach. It's all about spreading things. And um, the way I look at this is there's platforms to find people, and then there's platforms to keep people and give people alternatives. No one uses Peertube statistically. Like, sure, we might get a couple hundred views uh, on each video, but a couple hundred views for us is statistically almost nothing. Like, we get hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube each month. So it's really statistically nothing. Now, the reason why at least TechLore, and I'm guessing Nate, has Peertube is because we care about offering alternatives that people can interact with that gets them away from YouTube, because we preach getting away from YouTube. Um, But here's the thing, and this might help you, and this is what helped me too. There's no point to tell people who already deleted Google to delete Google. There's no point in telling people who already deleted Facebook to delete Facebook. The the target audience, if you want to get these messages across, is to go to the privacy-invasive platforms. That's where it actually matters, because those are the people who are using privacy invasive platforms. And so that's actually where you're needed most. Ironically, you're needed on TikTok, you're needed on YouTube, you're needed on Facebook, you're needed on all these platforms, because that's where you can make the most impact. And then you can also incorporate other things. When you grab those people, you can send them to your other platforms. And that's where they can be safe, so to speak. Um and as for PeerTube, I can't stand using PeerTube. I just use Autosync. Just like Odyssey, I can't stand using Odyssey. I do everything on YouTube and everything autosyncs, and I don't like touching either of them. That's yeah, that's all I have to say on my end. Honestly, we kind of have the same thoughts. So
0: yeah, I think platforms like TikTok and YouTube. Are still gonna be your best bet to find and grow an audience um, because they have the whole algorithmic discovery thing going on. They have the advantage of not being federated. Like I I posted on Mastodon about this, I think a couple weeks ago. It kind of dawned on me. It's like maybe one of the reasons, one of the reasons for the record, the PeerTube isn't taking off is because nobody federates. Like, I can't find platforms, I can't find instances, I should say. And for the record, video storage is crazy expensive. I get it. At least, you know, for us normal mere mortals who aren't, like, Google and Facebook who can just, you know, buy an entire fucking data center and not even notice that expense in the the line or that line in the expense reports. But for us normal people, these are really expensive investments. And I cannot seem to find... I want to federate with other instances. So for the record, if you're watching this and you know some good instances, please, like, message me or drop them in the comments or something. But I cannot find instances I want to federate with because most of them are either, A, like somebody's little hobby channel where they're like i'm gonna do you know let's play videos and video game walkthroughs and stuff like that and i haven't done one in six months or you know i which for the record i get it it's life is busy or you know it's like it's like a two hour long video of them playing with like no video no audio it's just the game i I don't know it just doesn't feel very like this isn't something i want to sync with or point blank i'm gonna be honest and i'm sorry people who are gonna get offended it's alt-right crazy people and I'm not going to get political, but just – I don't want that on my my front page. Just No, I don't want that. And the handful of servers that I've tried to federate with, I hate to say it, don't respond. Like I've tried to federate with um, Privacy International, and I've done a video for Privacy International, and they still haven't approved my request. I tried to federate with Tilvids. They didn't approve my request. And admittedly, like it's, it's not a very – visually attractive platform. I'll be the first one to admit that. I'm not super picky about aesthetic. I don't mind it, but I certainly don't like log in and be like, wow, this looks really good. I don't think I've ever said that about PeerTube. So yeah, I I think if you're trying to reach an audience, you're gonna have to go on those platforms where they have all that going on. Sorry for the rant. But I was gonna say as a privacy focused creator, you have the advantage of once you find that audience, you have that platform to now say, hey, by the way, YouTube sucks. TikTok sucks. Go find me on these other platforms. Because the thing is with normal creators, that never comes up, at least not like from the creator themselves. You know, people like us leave comments, but that never comes up naturally for them. They never have a reason to say, hey, go join me on PeerTube because they're going to lose a ton of ad revenue as soon as they do. And I don't even mean that in a selfish way. Like there's just literally no reason for them to look into these other platforms. And there's no reason for them to steer their audience there. But with you, it comes up organically, and there's plenty of reason to do that. Um, and, and again, like, like Henry was saying, why not both? Like, why not have both platforms where you're, you're there on the mainstream ones but also on Peertube and the, the more privacy-focused ones? What does that be the change you want to see? Because I feel like that's the biggest problem with a lot of the privacy-focused social media right now is – and it has a lot of other problems too. Like it doesn't look good. It's buggy. It's got all these other problems. But one of the biggest problems is just nobody's there, and unfortunately for the mainstream people, it's a network effect. They, they look at these like Mastodon. They go on Mastodon, and they're like, oh – All the musicians and brands and TV shows and companies I follow aren't there. I'm not going to go there. Not realizing that if everybody went there, all of the other people they want would follow them because that's where the audience is. It it becomes a vicious cycle. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I would say just be the change you want to see. Do both. Um, You're kind of going to have to use both. But, like, if you're trying to reach people, you're going to have to use those mainstream platforms and – as far as TikTok, I'll say personally, my experiences on TikTok, I don't post there nearly as much as I should, but I find there is actually an audience and that I know a lot of the privacy people are gonna be like, privacy people care about privacy on TikTok? It's because a lot of them don't know. I've posted a lot of videos about like, like I posted one of my most watched videos was about a lady who called Hulu for some totally innocuous reason. Like she had like a billing issue and the, the employee she spoke to Took down her personal info and started stalking her, like messaging her on Facebook and calling her and stuff like that. And I use that as an opportunity to talk about this is why privacy matters. This is why you need to use alias addresses, alias cards, burner emails, things like that. And that's a really like I mean on by TikTok standards, it's non-existent. But for me, I have like ten thousand views on that video. Not even kidding. People can and all the comments are people just like, bro, this is effed up. Like this is scary. Holy crap and it's like people care they just they they you need to reach them with it so all all that to say like yeah there is an audience for this stuff who people who want to learn this stuff and they just don't know where to go
1: the last thing i'll add is a little perspective because i don't think probably either of us shares maybe as much as we could regarding the behind the scenes video world uh videos are a lot of work like oh my god they are Like a 10 plus minute video can be 50 plus hours of work. That's a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, um, if you're talking a normal full-time job, that means you can barely put out a video a week. Um, So it's it's a lot of work and you can't have the expectation to just put it on peer two, where you might get 100 people who watch it with no ad revenue, no business model, and you're actually gonna have to lose money because you're going to have to probably host your videos if you're using your own instance. And you're going to have to pay for that. You can't so, find any instances that are accepting signups anyways, so yeah. Right, so it it's like, for people listening like, it really is important, not just for reaching new people, but also to keep doing it. Like, one thing is putting out a few good videos for a month, and then disappearing. Another is actually sticking with this for years on end, and doing it in a sustainable way, and unfortunately in our current economy and the way the world works um that ad revenue helps a lot on youtube and peer tube doesn't have that option odyssey doesn't really have that option either i don't consider odyssey's <laughs> ridiculous stupid token to actually be a revenue model the one that you can't actually use for anything <laughs> and they they actually just odyssey. shut it down without notice so the little value it had Did they? Is now oh my nothing. god so yeah that's the last thing i'll add here is that like value your time um, it's important that if you do ever get into this, you can't do it for the money, especially when you're early on. And even now, like, we wouldn't be posting to PeerTube and Odyssey if we cared about money. Like, there's so many things that we could do differently if money was the only priority and focus, both on tech lore, surveillance support, and definitely on new oil as well. Just know, like, seeing how Nate runs things, I can tell that it's the same thing over on his end. If money was the sole goal, things would be run very differently. You can't Dude, be in if it. if money the was money. the goal, I would shut down the new
0: oil and just stop doing privacy and focus on my day job. That's 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 a good
1: point. If I'm if, not even kidding, if money was the goal, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> right, and on my end, there would be so much sponsored content with so many companies, like the ones we turned on such garbage companies, literally every freaking day. And like, I don't think people understand the scope of like the garbage that we're offered. We've on one of our Susie's most. Popular, me a little bit of it. Right, like. On our most popular video, we did this video in like 2018. I got a random email. It's like, we'll give you two grand if you just throw in this link in the description. That's it. It's pretty harmless. Like, just throw it, it, you don't have to do anything. The video's already uploaded. I literally just have to edit a description and add their link. Two grand damn and that's the stuff you have to say no to like every time and the only thing that we're going to do is stuff that like fits the actual public protocols but like what i'm trying to tie to with this is that when you're starting out you're not going to make any money and you really just have to do it for the love of it and it's always going to be about the love of it because if you're going to offer these alternatives then you're already having to sacrifice profits for like the greater good so there's a lot of greater good being done here even if you are on a platform like youtube in my opinion all
0: right, so I get the last question, which I like for the record. This comes from Fossenjoyer, who says there are many great dystopian films and novels about government overreach and surveillance like 1984, Brazil. I love these movies about privacy. I missed the part about novels. You asked specifically about privacy, so that's what I answered. Or, excuse me, movies. Uh, I love these movies about privacy or lack thereof, and I'm looking for more. Could you recommend any movies that are maybe not as popular and slipped under my radar? Don't care if they're old or the acting isn't AAA. What are your favorite movies of that genre? I found they are a great way to start uh, talk about privacy with friends and family. That is very true. Um, one of them. On that note, one of them that just popped into my head. It's pretty old now, but it's hilarious and it never stops being funny. Uh, in 2015, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, John Oliver is that his name? John Oliver did an interview with Edward Snowden and did a whole episode about mass surveillance and the reauthorization of FISA Section 702. It holds up. It's from 2015, but it never stops being funny and amazing. That's a good conversation starter. So anyways, I I personally – I did go out and look because I'm like I know there's some out there, but also like my brain wasn't anywhere immediately coming to mind. Um, Enemy of the States a popular one. I haven't watched it yet. There's a a, a movie on HBO called Kimmy that's about a girl who's like – She starts working in tech support during lockdown and realizes that she can, like, see, like, people's real-time webcams and stuff like that. So Something to that effect. It's something directly privacy-related. It's been on my watch list. I've just been really busy. Obviously, there's Mr. Robot. Person of Interest seems really popular. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was a garbage show, and I was watching it to make fun of it by the time I was done. But I did finish watching it, and it has really good reviews. Captain America and the Winter Soldier is a really big movie that was towards the end about surveillance and privacy And unfortunately, somebody watched it and said, what if we made that reality? And then we covered that drama for a year. Uh, The internet also recommended Equilibrium, Gattaca, Minority Report, The Truman Show, Black Mirror has a lot of episodes that have to do with surveillance. And then um, if we can leave it in the comments, I found a Wikipedia page and an IMDB page full of uh, movies and TV shows about mass surveillance. So... I would say that. All right. And that's all we got this week. So thank you guys for all your questions. Um, there were a lot of questions. They were really good questions. Uh, really appreciate that. And um, if you want to ask us a question for surveillance port 1, what are we on, 143, uh, there's still plenty of time. Well, there's still time. We record generally around Friday evening. So you got – at the time of this recording, you got a couple days. Go ahead and uh, leave a question, and we might answer it next week. So – Thank you guys for watching and be sure to tune in this weekend for the latest episode of Surveillance Report.